What episode is this? Uh, this is episode three. Okay. Hello and welcome to the. Hi, this is Brian. Thanks for downloading the Azarin podcast. I'm joined this week by Dave and Liam. And before we get started, I'd just like to issue a content warning. We do occasionally swear in this podcast. So if that kind of thing offends you, maybe turn off now. Cheers. Hey, welcome to the Azarin podcast. With me, Brian. And me, Dave. Also me and Liam. We did a wonderful intro. I know. You will have heard that. Never. I think we're all kind of out of it this week. Yeah. Uh, so obviously we missed the podcast last week. Uh, everyone was a wee bit busy. Yeah. Um, and this week we were also busy. And, but we're all hungover really badly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not so much hungover, but I am tired. It's yeah. it's up very late. You're drinking a huge ton of Rockstar as well, which will have no consequences whatsoever. I'm sure, so. If you hear retching during the podcast, I apologize. Ah, my acid! Uh, we got some good news. My Sega Master System two works. Yeah, yeah that's, that's surprising. It was uh, kind of balancing the microphone the first week. Yeah, um, it's been on my table. Yeah, gathering dust since I moved Your hall for you. Yeah. I've got some stuff to talk about. Have you got stuff to talk about? Well, you start first because yours is probably the more topical news, which is Destiny, Rise of Iron. Yes? Yeah. So it came out um, sometime last month now. Um, it's the new mini expansion for Destiny. The first one following The Taken King, which came out about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been many updates in between since the Taken King, but this is the first proper expansion. Um, let's see, it rose, it increased the level cap, the light cap. Uh, it added... How much did it increase it by? Like, from uh, what to? Well, it was 320 before it. Uh, oh, no, and then, yeah, it was 335, was it? It's like now 385. So that's a significant amount for... Yeah, for I don't know the exact numbers. Don't quote me on any of them. I'm going to ask loads of questions because I've never but, played it. Um, it did increase it significantly. Okay. Um, it included new story missions, a new social space, uh, a new um, PvE area, which is the first new additional one in a year also. What's PvE? Player versus environment. Okay. So, like, so your single player campaign stuff, essentially. Yeah. Well, it's a co-op game. So, so the way the way that PvE areas in Destiny work is there are like large maps which can be which missions take o- take place over like this large space. So the first one in Destiny One was the Cosmodrome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one in Taken King was the ship. Which yeah, the Dreadnought. The Dreadnought, and the new one is it's. Um, well, actually, because in the vanilla base game, which mm-hmm. had the Cosmodrome, there was other planets as well. So the first planet is yeah. Earth, and you start there, and then you move on to Venus and, and Mars and the moon and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So the Cosmodrome is this ancient human spaceport. Somewhere in Russia, right? Yeah. Um, so basically, the new social space is an, it's both an updated version of the Cosmodrome and an expansion of the Cosmodrome. Mm-hmm. So now there are two versions of the Cosmodrome that you can visit. There's the vanilla version um, from the base game, and then there's this new version where as the story progresses, it's kind of like in Cataclysm, 
how they changed a lot of the, uh, the areas. Um, but in, in Destiny, they did it a bit differently, whereby you could still visit the old areas, so you should still play that story. It still yeah. exists. But you can also then visit this new updated one with an expanded bit. It's called the Playgrounds. And it's really cool. Um, it's covered in snow. Yeah. As well as the uh, the new area, it's included a new raid mm. um, and a whole bunch of gear and crucible stuff as well. It's a it's kind of halfway between um, th- some people don't think it feels very substantial, but then it, I don't think I think it is what it advertises. None, none of the none of the expansions have felt. Hugely substantial since Destiny One released. Really, well, the uh, Taken, Taken King, King was big because it introduced a lot of things, but like, you could get through it kind of quickly. Like it wasn't like a new game. None of them have been though. Well, that's not the point of an expansion. If you were to play the story missions, yeah, you can the get ones, through it quick. yeah, the main story. But then there are loads of other quests, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of other content, a lot of things to explore, mm-hmm. which worked really well. And they're kind of doing it with the Rise of Iron, but not really, right? Um, but it's very good. I'm enjoying it. Um, they've kind of... The story... Like, people were saying there isn't very much story. But what there is is, like, really good story. Um, the raid has been released now. Because the, the game was released, and the raid was released the following Friday. Mm-hmm. Within two hours, I think it was, uh, the first team beat the raid. Oh and then, like, I think either the following day or a couple of days later, um, a team of three people beat the raid, which is a big thing because the raids are meant to be six-player activities. Okay. And you you kind of need the full fire team to go in. There are, like, specific teams like that, that are dedicated to, like, finding out ways to beat the raid in specific manners. Mm-hmm. So, like, um, the raid for the um, the, the dark below. Yeah. Um, that is, again... A six-player deal, but you can actually solo it if you know yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. So yeah. I have heard of people soloing like uh, raids in the past, and yeah. it's been a significant uh, yeah. achievement. Well, um, yeah, because for the first time I did, me and my clan mate from Destiny, we went through Crota's End just the two of us. Mm-hmm. Um, is that like the last boss or something? Crota's End is one of the raids. So the way the raids are in Destiny, um, it's kind of one long. Um, mission thing. You go in, it's a location specifically for the raid. You go in, it's like a dungeon. Sure. So there's multiple bosses or challenges, events. Um, so in the first one, uh, for it's Vault of Glass, the first challenge is to open the door to the vault. Okay. So there's three platforms and you need to just defend these three platforms and stay on the platforms to construct a spire which opens the vault and then you go in you go through this winding cave and you get to another bit um where you have to fight it's called the templar uh, and it's a big sort of um mecha boss it's like um first you kind of need to uh go through waves of enemies and there's these things called um oracles they're like little glowing orbs and they appear all the way around this map and basically you're fighting waves of enemies while also having to clear these oracles and the oracles come and they chime in order and you need to shoot them. Okay. Whatever. So there's different um, challenges. There's like a maze where there's these enemies called gorgons and if they see you, you all die. So you have to sneak through this maze 
and then you get to the last boss and you fight him. It's constructed so, very much like a like an actual MMO raid. Yeah, yeah. And it works really well. Yeah, like, it's, it's very fun. Like, like uh, Labyrinth of the Ancients or something yeah. from Final Fantasy XIV. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way these people who want to solo the game will do it, they'll just find exploits or cheeses that will allow yeah, them yeah. to basically disregard the mechanics of the raid to get through it. So in Crota's End, there's this bridge that you have to cross. But you have to stand on platforms to make the bridge form. It's not there. You stand on the platforms, it forms. When you come off the platforms, the bridge goes away. But while you're standing on the platforms for the bridge, there has to be somebody standing on a third platform to make sure that these two totems don't light up and kill everybody. Because when you stand on the platforms to form the bridge, the totems activate. So the third platform um, makes sure that the totems don't activate. So you need... Um, two people for the two platforms and one for the third thing you then need to get um, across the bridge so you need to send people over the bridge to then hold platforms on the other side um, to uh, keep the bridge on but you can only cross the bridge if you have a sword um, so you, there is like a, an enemy that drops a sword that times out once you've picked it up sure. so basically you're, you're um, going across the bridge one at a time and you need people to be holding all these positions otherwise the whole thing falls apart and you can't get over the bridge so it's designed in a way that to complete that activity you should have to have at least so many people yeah yeah but then people found out that what you can do is kill the enemy that has the sword take the sword which has when you're in the air if you slash with the sword it propels you forward so what you do is you climb up this like ledge so that you're high up enough that when you jump and start slashing the sword, it just carries you across the gap right. and you're on the other side of the bridge, at which point you just need to kill the enemies. And once you've killed the enemies, it thinks that the encounter is over. So it's stuff like that. It's all really fun. Okay. I think one of the more, one of the, well, not one of the more, but one of the significant bits about Rise of Iron as well is that no longer has to regard the... Um, um, last gen versions of the games yeah. anymore. Like uh, they are now um, basically not being supported after this. The legacy. Yeah. Um, so as a result, um, when I was watching Chris and Megan play it, when I was through a couple of weeks again, I go a couple of our friends. Um, I noticed the um, the frame rate has been unlocked. So it was locked at thirty. Um, uh, it seems to go between forty and fifty. Um, texture should be a bit better. Um, so and it generally just seems to look slightly crisper, but um, the main thing was the frame rate because it, it's, I don't think Destiny's ever been above thirty, and it was definitely more than thirty I this time. Heard so, anything about that? I don't know if it's. It may have just been the interpolation on the TV actually. But um, so Rise of Iron won't be out on three sixty and yeah, it's only for PS3. PlayStation Four and Xbox. And that's, that's uh, the first, Xbox One. first Destiny expansion that's done that. Yes. yes. Okay. okay. Um, so that, that might um, have um, more yeah. um, of an impact when the newer consoles are released soon. Well, actually, that's interesting because there are some rumours now coming out and um, the these leaks, the source, I think, is... It was an article by Kotaku, which, um, regardless of my personal feelings about them as a website, this particular um, journalist for Kotaku has had a track record with Destiny leaks. Okay. So um, he's been kind of on point with them. Uh, and they generally turn out to be true. So he was saying that he's heard that... Um, and then there was also a post on NeoGAF, 
Um, typically uh, contains quite a lot of leaks. Yeah, but then uh, this Kotaku author, or journalist, he says that he's managed to find a source independent of that that can, that would sort of support, support that. That, yeah. Yeah. Um, that Destiny 2 is going to be a bit of um, it's a bit of a grey area, it's fake. Maybe kind of like a reboot, almost. Okay. And some of the reasons for that is Destiny has a lot of flaws that it's not really flaws with the game that comes out. It's flaws in the way that they've set up the game and the engine yeah. that they use, um, which is notoriously difficult and time-consuming. Things like if they want to load up a map to edit it, they need to like load it up eight hours ahead of time or something, or things like that. It's things if they want to make really small changes, it'll take the same amount of time to get to the point where they can make that change as really big changes. Okay. The, the minimum amount of time it takes to do things in the game is a long time. Right. So that's why things in Destiny, unless they are crucially game-breaking, they get left. So really, they've learned from uh, the, the, the first few yeah. releases they've made, and now they're yeah. uh, going to improve on their, um, their workflow. They're gonna, well, the new Des- Destiny 2, the idea is it's going to be in a new engine with stuff. Um, things like also, um, the old engine was built with the previous console generation in mind and I think there are like inherent um, like ceilings with stuff that they can do like the way they can use like memory and stuff like that yeah, yeah. Um, and things like currently in Destiny you can only have eight players in an instance um, or something like that and you only have uh, 6v6 is like the most you can get in a multiplayer game and stuff like that um, but the big point of contention now, with this leak, is it also says that um, we may end up leaving our current characters behind. Uh-huh. Um, and so people That's are really upset. lose a lot of people. Yeah. Because um, Destiny was, maybe not explicitly, although there are sources that people have said it, but um, who work for Bungie. It's the, the whole 10 year thing. So uh, the idea of Destiny is you will go on this 10-year journey to become legend. Um, And there's certain people at Bungie were like, yeah, you will take your character, will stay with you, and the things that you earn will stay with you through this 10-year journey. Um, And, like, through, like, short-sightedness, they've gone, they've gotten now two years into it, and they're like, well, we're working on a flawed, you know, the, the groundwork isn't there to really make that work. Um, so, on one hand, you're like, yes, please start again, fix everything, yeah, take it back to square one, um, and rebuild the game or rebuild a new game. But why then does it need to be? Why would you need to lose your character and your progress? It's a difficult balance between yeah. getting new players to join yeah. and keeping your existing audience. Really, um, but think- like it, the new players join things all the time. It doesn't mean that other players can't have their character to come with it. I think one of the um, if it seems to be quite prevalent in proprietary engines as well. It's like they, they don't have staying power all of the time. Like it's the same thing seems to have happened with like um, Luminous Engine with FF15 and. Various other things like um, Capcom's Pantheria, all that kind of thing, um, and it seems to be again the same for Destiny. Where it's like they've they've tried to make this engine that's all purpose, and then two years, three years down the line, they went, "This doesn't really meet our needs anymore." Yeah. Like this is this is this wrong, this is that wrong. How do we fix this? Rather than maybe swallowing their pride a bit, and this 
perhaps goes more to Japanese developers who are very notorious for being very prideful with what they do. But again, Destiny, like they've had this grand idea, and like you said, they've been short-sighted. Yeah. Um, well, they've never been shy about talking about the limitations of the engine that they have. They've always been sort of like, we know you want these things, but listen, here's what we're working with. And they're quite upfront about that. But that doesn't um, stop them from allowing you to continue on. Mm. Like... I don't yeah, know. That, well, I mean, that's that's point, very much a, a corporate decision or a company point, decision. The point I was going to make was why wouldn't they? Uh, maybe this is it. In hindsight, almost twenty twenty, of course. But why wouldn't they have went for a third party engine where it's maybe easier to, well, to because, make those alterations? Than the because it's a, the Destiny as a game isn't easily pigeonholed into any single genre again. Yes, it's an MMO. It's a shooter. It's a shared like shooting. Like the the only other game that's really similar to it is the Division, and that came after. Mm. So, so I can draw some comparisons here. Um, you're saying that you may lose your character progress with yeah. the sequel. Well, the thing is, like, we don't. You don't necessarily need everything to carry over. So, most people have said we don't really care if we lose most of our gear. Yeah, like gear is transient. Presumably, anyway. there's going to be a, a cap anyway yeah. when it starts. Um, and at the moment in Destiny, you can't use year one gear. It's not viable. You can keep hold of it, but you're only keeping hold of it for collection's sake. Sure. What people do want to ensure in Destiny 2 because people invest a lot of time into Destiny I've got 560 hours myself um, and your character is there for like all of it you know people have an attachment to this because it wasn't just sold as you are playing as this character they were like this is you in Destiny Mm. this is your avatar this is is you and then also there's things like um, it's kind of like achievements but it's not the way you you unlock you engage with the story in Destiny is for a thing called the Grimoire so uh, every time you do an action or have an, an achievement, like you've beaten a certain amount of uh, enemies or you've uh, beaten a certain uh, boss or you've found a certain gun or a certain item, you would get a Grimoire card. And that comes with a, a points system. So a certain Grimoire card might be worth a certain amount of points. So you have, beside your character name, your Grimoire score. Uh, and I think the cap is like about 5,000 at the moment. Um People want their grimoire score to carry over because that's their that's just evidence of what they've done in Destiny. And they want things like each year you have your moments of triumph. You have a certain amount of time to, to, within that year to complete a certain set of challenges and you get an emblem that says you've done these. So usually it's beat the raids, beat all the major uh, content things, um, find a bunch of collectibles and stuff. Um, people want their emblems to carry over because um, why shouldn't that emblem carry over? Yeah. As an asset... Is that purely aesthetic? Yeah. Right, okay. And the Grimoire score is also, again, it's purely um, just, you know... It's like a, it has no like impact tag. on... Yeah. It, it's just like... It's almost like bragging rights. Yeah. Really. This is how much I've scored um, in the game. Uh, it has no, no impact on the gameplay... Um, or it doesn't have to have any impact on the gameplay. Some Grimoire cards, if you unlock them, it gives you extra XP or money from certain sources, but you can scrap that and still have the score be uh, um, a way to show, like, I did this, this was the thing. And that's a big thing about the attraction for Destiny, is you go and you do these things and bragging rights, and yeah. um, I was the one who defeated Aphian, and I was the one that defeated Crota, and I went and defeated Arx yeah. and Skolas. And it's it's very similar. To like it's not just like well, I mean, Destiny has that that especially in the Grand Marshals and the moments of triumph. And it's like you've got this thing that shows like you did this, 
yeah. that and all that. And it's it's the same way like I look at MMOs. Like when I played FF14, I didn't like when I quit it. I didn't really want to because like I had an attachment to my character because like yeah. you're saying, it's a projection of yourself into the game. Yeah. And even like even if it is just like bragging rights or be visual things that add to your yeah. character, like um, uh, and what's what's the glamours glamours yes. in FF14? Yeah. It's like that makes that character yours. You yeah. made that. And that's like that's hard to let go of. And I can completely understand why people were like, yeah. no, I want that in Destiny 2. I want that character to carry over. Yeah. I want that to all show. So There's like, a lot yeah, of people... I wanted to draw comparisons, actually, well, to Final 14, Fantasy 14 Because yeah. it relaunched it after, after, after yeah. the Rocky Star. And it, it essentially destroyed the world. But it did tie them in. Like, it's a exactly, continuation. Yeah, and yes. you, they, they used the story to tie yeah. in mm. a reason why your character's carried over into this new world. Yeah. Um, it was called, I think it was the Cataclysm. Meteor Fall. Yeah. yeah, and it was it was essentially, the, the world was destroyed, but your characters were teleported yeah. to safety. And then you, you start again as yeah. this warrior of light who's... But here's also the thing with Destiny is, Destiny 1, as it is, is nowhere near... The, the story being told at the moment is a story that has assumed from the very beginning that we will be following this story for the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. So we've had very little in the way of anything... Conclusive. Yeah. There's mysteries that people have been still wanting to know about from year one, and it's like the whole thing is like you'll be asking about, it and they're like, "Well, in time, you know." There's characters that were in Destiny One that have yet to return, that were major characters that left on a an open, you know, on a, not a cliffhanger, but they were like, "Oh, to be to be explored example, Yeah, yeah the stranger, which was a major majorish character in the first expansion, and then was like, "I have to go and see to some other stuff." And alluded to coming back has never returned. I do recall you telling me about a lot of it, and it yeah. sounds almost like a television sitcom. Where yeah, you're expecting them to conclude certain stories before they conclude the entire show. A yeah. lot, of, a well, lot of what the, the first. Sorry, only one. there's nothing to conclude at the moment. If they were to yeah. end Destiny One and move on to Destiny Two, now in the next expansion, there's nothing to conclude. There, there are story threads that are still going, and it's more about you're in this world and experiencing it. There's no. Stories. There's lore. It's, it's a lot of world, world building. Is yeah. Destiny at the moment. Um, so. so if they were to bring out Destiny two, it's they. If they reboot it entirely and forget Destiny one, I don't want to play Destiny two because it's not the same story. Mm. So why would I want to start a new story if they're not gonna finish what they begun with Destiny one? I'm not gonna trust them to finish that one either. So that's that option. I'm out because they've abandoned what I. Like as Destiny, one of the core so, principles. Arguably, yeah. what the second doing. one is if they continue the story as it is and the lore and the world building, why hasn't my character persisted in this world? Hmm. Like, why should I have to stop being this guy and go and be somebody else? There's no actual reason for it, um, but so there's no good justification. So I'm out because you've taken my character out of this world, and my investment in this world is gone. Because my character is my investment in the world. Um, so, before we jump to conclusions, I mean, yeah. a lot of this is conjecture. Oh, yeah, based completely. On rumors, so, I mean, it's, um, uh, this is worst case scenario. Yeah, uh, this is all... This, one of the major possibly... themes of Destiny is, like, I love Destiny to bits, but there's no great communication from Bungie and the players as to what the direction of the game is going to be. So you're taking everything on faith that you're not wasting your time. And people say, well, surely you're playing the game for the now. You know, it's not an investment for your future because it's worthless, you know, this time that you're putting into it. Yeah. But that's part of the fun is you're building 
your character in this mm-hmm. world and your experiences, and you want to continue and see. I mean, that, that, the rumor in itself is yeah. possibly enough to damage uh, support for the game from, yeah. its, from its fan yeah. base. Because, yeah. I mean, it's one of these things you, the whole, people might stop like, playing as a fear of like, yeah. wasting Well, time. that's the thing. My feelings on the day when it came out, because I'd been doing a bunch of stuff um, trying to get certain guns in the game and certain items. My feeling at the time was, well, what's the point? Sure. Um, then I came home and I played it, and I remember just the pure joy I get from playing the game. Like, the forget the lore and forget my yeah. character and anything the mechanics are so fun to play yeah. it draws you back in anyway I've not played Destiny in a long time but I can definitely back up the fact that it's one of the best first person shooters I've ever played yeah, it's, it's just really, a pure, really great pure mechanics and game feel and everything it just is fun yeah. to play so that's fine um, so I've never played through story but I have played yeah. a few skirmishes and it, it, yeah. was, it was quite fun it was enjoyable for me it's really so, good fun yeah um, it's just a, a common theme is um Destiny will get into a good place, you know, it'll be in a good place and people will be happy where it is and then you'll there'll be a change made to it and you don't understand the change. Yeah. And Bungie have no desire to explain themselves to the players. Like they're not held like they're writing that they're not really accountable for whether or not you enjoy the game. I mean, if you don't like what they do, it's in the end it's their decision as a creative People, yeah, it was making their, their game. Yeah, so they're not really capable in that sense, but just in a kind of like, I think there should be some more openness as to here's where we want the game to go. Okay, because people are invested in it emotionally and time wise. I don't know. Um, I think yeah. some kind of roadmap should be for the yeah. Game. Well, we don't know because there was a uh, and it's difficult because. They had a re- certain idea of what their release schedules would be in year one. They released one major expansion, two mini expansions. Then because of engines and time constraints and stuff, they couldn't keep up that release schedule. And that's changed. And then, yeah, it's just a big worry is we don't know now what the future of Destiny is. Will we be playing the same game next year? What will happen to what we're doing now? And is there any point in playing it? I guess we'll just have to, to figure out... Uh, Based on like what what comes out from Bungie, probably find it at E three next year. I would imagine they would probably say something about Destiny two. You'd hope. We'll yeah. Um, sure. All I want though is my character to remain. Yeah. They can do anything else they want. I'm probably going to be happy with it. Cool. Yeah. So that's the first subject. Yeah. yeah. Um, we discussed it quite quite great length. <laughs> that's 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 good though because we've not talked about Destiny. And it is an interesting subject, so yeah. it's always good to talk about. Um, next topic we didn't really have one, but. Bryce suggested it. It's um this with this past week there was the um twenty first anniversary of the original PlayStation releasing in Europe, which is a long time ago, and yeah. I still remember it quite clearly. It's now is, old enough to drink if it ever visits the states or Japan. It is. Um, it's quite frightening to know it's that old now because I still remember the very first time I physically saw a PlayStation, which was um I still lived with well my mum, me, and my two uncles still lived with my gran and my granda at the time. And my youngest uncle had just went and bought the PlayStation on launch. You must have been about five years old or something. Five or six, something like that, yeah. Um, I remember it being like a really big deal because he was really into his games at the time. Still is, technically. Um, but I bought it because one of his pals at work was into Japanese gaming. Uh-huh. He imported stuff. And he'd say, you've got to get this console. It's, it's They've just announced it in Japan and stuff. And there's, these, there's this... Some of these games, like there's this fighting game that's like tech called Tekken, mm-hmm. it looks like it's a really going to be a good success at a Street Fighter, 
one of the real reasons it was like is this is this game called Biohazard and it's a puzzle game that'll never it's catch on zombies <laughs> it's like, but I think it's, some, it's called something it's going to be called something else in the west like Resident Evil um, so he bought it I, I don't know if he heard about Resident, Evil, about Resident Evil at the same time but he definitely bought one of the reasons he bought the Playstation was for Tekken and I remember him showing me Battling of Toshinden on the on demo disc um, demo 1 you'll probably remember it um, and he showed me that I was like this is a really rubbish fighting game this is the one you want to watch and he showed me the video of Tekken that came on that and I still remember what it is it's Yoshimitsu versus King on the snowfield stage um, and it looked amazing at the time um, and that was the very first time I saw an operating playstation um, presumably Liam you I was, as well. I was four when the playstation came out um, but it was only a, would have been like 20 days off of my fifth birthday so I don't remember it coming out no. I did remember you, friends you having it. I did, yeah. I got one, I think, for my seventh birthday, or thereabouts. Maybe... About a few years into the launch then. Yeah. Um, I remember friends having them before I had them. And some games I remember... I remember there was like a, a Frogger game for the PlayStation There one. was. Yeah, it's a 3D uh, one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Quite good. Um, that was on one of the demos I as well. I remember really yeah. liking Frogger, Micro Machines. Micro Machines gave the PS1 yeah, but I got it. Um, what happened was it was it was either my birthday, or it would have been yeah. So, um, I had a PC when I was younger. Before then, sure. Uh, this would be my seventh birthday, um, and my parents got me um, some gifts. And I opened one, and it was Tomb Raider for the PlayStation. And they were like, "You can play that on your PC, right?" And I was like. Uh, no, I can't play this on the PC. It's a PlayStation game. They were like, what do you mean? I was like, oh, you can only play PlayStation games on the PlayStation. And they were like, oh, right. Well, you'd better have this as well. Um, My parents did the exact same to me. Yeah. It's it a was good a, joke. It's Crash Bandicoot 2. Yeah. Uh, Cortex Strikes Back, I think. Um, and I, I got given that present and I was like, I, I can't play this. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, all right. And then... They wait until after lunch to give me my PlayStation. <laughs> this, this, this obviously it's Crash Bandicoot Two was pretty new, uh, yeah. so I, I didn't get the PlayStation on launch. I think it was maybe a year after. But um, I remember them telling me afterwards they had to like fight to find a PlayStation. Yeah, they were. I think subsequently there has been a year um, it, with every significant launch from Sony in the UK where the console has been like gold dust to yeah. try and get it at Christmas time. Yeah. Um, and it was like one year it was PS Two Slims that were super difficult to get hold of. Um, so there's been an interesting statistic that went up on um, Twitter actually talking about PlayStation sales. Um, it's by a, business, a games business analyst um, at Zuge EX. Um, Daniel Amadi's called. Um, he does a lot of like interesting analytical stuff. He's also got really rubbish jokes and a bad sense of humour, but like, <laughs> if you can get through to that. Um, he put up a... I can't remember the exact percentages now, but basically um, he put up the original version of PlayStation versus the slim launch of it. Like basically like sales percentages, um, and I think the PS One and the PS One or PS One, the small one, because it wasn't yeah. called PS One Slim, um, it was like like seventy percent to thirty percent in respect to the original and the Slim, and every iteration of the co- like of a new console like PlayStation Two, PlayStation Three, the sales of the Slim version like go up quite dramatically. Mm. Um, so I'm wondering like if they're anticipating that to help sales with the PS4 because the PS4 
Is the PS4 slim out yet? I think it is, right? Uh, I don't know. I think it came out this week or the week after. Or the week before. I know it. certainly uh, in, in the UK at least, Argos and Tesco have been selling the PS4 original uh, with FIFA, the latest FIFA, and Uncharted 4 for £150. Yeah, I've seen that one and that's, that's, not that's a, a good deal. Not an endorsement for uh, either of those uh, supermarket uh, or high street, high street chains, but... Um, I mean, if you don't have a PS4 and you you don't care about the Slim, but you're interested in picking one up, that is... You will probably like at least one of those games. Yeah. Probably. I mean, having played through all of Uncharted 4, I really enjoyed it. But I mean, it's it, it's a pretty good deal. I think if you if you can find it, because those, those are really hard to get a hold of. Slim consoles tend to do well because they usually have like small mechanical improvements and all that kind of thing. With the previous I ones. didn't like was the, well... The Super Slim PS3. Yeah, but also I didn't like the PlayStation 2 Slim. I didn't mind it too much. Because well, first off, it's it got is. that flimsy flap for a disc tray. Ah. So it's it's just a wee sheet of plastic that's. But was that not much easier to modify? I don't really care. You could, you could chip it I, easier, yeah. I don't. I mean, not not necessarily. I mean, I can, yeah. condoning that kind of thing. But I mean, you could um, modify your PlayStation so it could, so it could play imports if it was a flip tray. I mean. Much that easier. may be so, but because you have still, access to the laser. Something. Yeah, and, and to I think the, it's a poor design. Regardless, yeah. like, um, the PlayStation Two before that was just a much sturdier piece of kit. It's like a, it's a big, it's a big boy of a console. It looks like a radiator, like some kind yeah. of space age um, radiator. I liked the PlayStation Three Slim. The original I didn't PS3. like the Super Slim. The Super Slim looks Super Slim's a piece so of shit. Yeah, it's, <laughs> like, um, it's just like again, the disc tray on that is atrocious, um, and I think they break a lot, don't they? Uh, yeah, they were made very cheaply, so they break quite frequently. Um, PlayStation 4 Slim was alright. Yeah, it looks a bit like a, an electronic scale, but it's nice enough looking. Um, what's interesting, though, um, is that it doesn't just apply to PlayStations either. Um, the Xbox One S has increased sales of that console in America by 1,000%. That's amazing. Wow. So, so they've got like... But that has actual physical improvements on that as well. Like it actually has like proper... It has 4K output on... Um, on Blu-rays, yeah. um, so you, uh, you can actually use it as a, as a 4K playback machine, which neither the PS4 or the PS4 Pro will actually be able to do, which is interesting. Just uh, more interesting that the Blu-ray is Sony, Sony uh, owned, yeah. hardware. Yeah, so it's very odd. But um, getting back to the original PlayStation, um, so you both talked about how, like, when you owned it, I think, like, my, I owned mine first when I was, like, properly, when I was nine, I think. Um, I did have one before that, but it was like a like another one that I'd got from my uncle. Like he he got another one, um, and I got the hand me down on the second one, um, or the original one he had. But my first proper one was when they they re released it um, around nineteen ninety eight or nineteen ninety nine, um, and it had the Dual Shock in the box. It wasn't the PS one; it was still the original one, the big boxy one. Uh, but they released it with the Dual Shock because the Dual Shock was new at the time. I remember. Because they did release an analog controller before that called the PS4, the PS1 analog controller, which doesn't have rumble and it has indents on the thumbsticks. Mm-hmm. Um, that was an experimental release and it didn't actually work with that many games at the time. Um, I think it only worked with a couple of racing games. Um, but yeah, that's the first time I owned mine. Um, I think we can all agree that like it was a a big game changer because before that it was really Nintendo kind of running roughshod and. I didn't have consoles before then. No? No. Um, so, 
as far as I'm concerned, the PlayStation was the start of anything. Mm-hmm. I have no like recollection of games before then, really. Uh, I didn't have like a Sega or anything like that. I had a Mega Drive. Um, I had a PC game. Showing my age, I had an Atari, which was yeah. a hand-me-down from my older brother. <laughs> um, I can't remember the model. I know there was quite a few, but uh, I used to play like Pac-Man and Spider-Man and stuff like that. I mean, I was exposed to games like um, Earthworm Jim came out on the PC. Yes. I had Earthworm Jim. That's one of the earliest games I remember playing. So I played that on Mega Drive. I, I think I owned it at one point in Mega Drive. Uh, Comet Zone came out on the PC. Yeah, I Echo never, the Dolphin never played came out that. On the PC. I had Echo of the Dolphin, Comic Zone. They came with our PC, I think. There was like a disc with a couple of games on it. Comic Zone, Echo of the Dolphin. Earthworm Jim was bought. So I did play games from then. Sure, yeah. But I didn't really know them as Sega games or have a Sega or a Nintendo or So anything. between the three of us, the Sony PlayStation was, is, is a common denominator. That's yeah. like kind of... Maybe the first console that we all the first yeah. proper console owned. Yeah. Um, so I mean, since we've got that common ground, if you had to choose one game from the PlayStation One that you that you remember and you really highly, I think I know what Dave's is. Oh yeah, yeah I think I know what both. I'm gonna say Dave's is Final Fantasy Seven. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I think I would say that's the same for mine as well, which I think really just. <laughs> Okay, Final Fantasy VII uh, was a literal game changer. Yeah. yeah. Up until that point, games were something where you played to get high scores, or you know, there was a single objective. Yeah. And I never really considered games to be stories before that, or to yeah. be able to like to have this strong narrative and to be able to like ha- to 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 give you this uh, message or mm. like to, to get something to be something you could learn from. They weren't yeah. even like really that. I mean. It's the first time I remember feeling so immersed in a game mm. where it wasn't just me. Like when you're playing a board game, you don't really get immersed in a board game no. in the same way. No. It's more about the mechanics. Yeah. You're very aware it's a game. Yeah. It's the same with like games on the Mega Drive and all that kind of thing. Obviously not all of them. Yeah. The RPGs did exist before then. I mean, obviously, of course they existed. But I think uh, one of the things about Final Fantasy VII, like obviously Square had done stuff like that before and it does affect people like Chrono Trigger um, Final Fantasy VI, all previous Final Fantasies really. Um, obviously, you've got the Zelda games for the SNES and the SNES and all that kind of thing as well. But the thing about Seven was they had this completely new format. They had much more disc space um, thanks to what the PlayStation used to run, which was discs. Um, they had access to computer-generated cutscenes. They had access to proper music, um, like an actual sound system, yeah. um, pre-rendered graphics, full 3D, and they felt that they could really tell a proper story with it. Um, they weren't restricted by like um, 16-bit um, visuals or audio or anything like that. They could really make it a proper cinematic experience. And that's cinematic experience back in 1997 did not mean the same as it does today. True. Um, so it's a very different type of cinematic experience. Like There are obviously like quite a few bits of Seven and really all a lot of games around then that were inspired by like Hollywood. But it wasn't like trying to, they weren't trying to be films. Well, they were taking inspiration. It was like creative camera work. Yeah. Um, used to progress a storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Things, things like music uh, or or a score that was tied yeah. to emotion to, yeah. to to make you feel the same way that the characters did. Yeah. It? it was it was very clever. Yeah. That kind of thing. And um, seven, like like you say, like it completely changed everything. Like for like how those kind of games worked and how successful they were at the time. Um, 
it's so like it's uh, maybe a sl- some upcoming misconception is like it came out of nowhere because it definitely didn't. They did do a lot of advertising for that. I used to think that did come out of nowhere, but it totally didn't. Like they had a lot of advertising for that game, and it worked because it didn't really tell you much about the game, but it showed you like look at what this game looks like. Look at these cutscenes. Look at all these characters. Look, look at all these dynamic designs and everything. Because that was one of the first things I've ever seen about Final Fantasy VII was official PlayStation magazines review it. Um, I think they got it and it copy early and they had the full two-page spread and they had every single main character design avalanche and looking at all the character I was like that looks really cool I've never seen character designs like that everything else before that was so simplistic and that I'd seen anyway um, and they all just looked very detailed and dynamic and that's what drew, drew me in so all the marketing was really well done for that game yeah um, but for, for me uh, I got a, a VHS like a video with Games Master magazine mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was Games Master um, probably was and it had uh, videos of a whole bunch of games that were mm-hmm. due to be coming out in the next year and I saw it and it, it looked in just totally different like, yeah. um, and it wasn't probably for about a year or so after that that I managed to pick up a copy mm-hmm. just just at a market um, and my, my parents let me spend my money on this thing yeah uh, yeah, it just it kind of blew my mind when I was playing it. I'd never heard of it when I got it. No? I'd never heard of Final Fantasy. Um, I actually got given it as a gift. I think it was a Christmas present from my aunt. And I remember playing it, and I remember hating it. <laughs> and I didn't I didn't understand it. It wasn't like games I'd played. Were you just too young to appreciate it? Yeah, I think I was... It came out in 1997, right? Uh, yeah. I think it was September um, 1997. September 1997 here, yeah. And I'm pretty sure it was that Christmas I got it. Um, so I was seven years old. Um, it wasn't like other games I'd played before then, because I hadn't really been exposed to RPG games before then. Um, I didn't get it. I got as far as... I don't think I got very far into it. Uh, I remember... The bit where Barrett is talking to Cloud and saying we need to stop Shinra and all that, and I was like, "The fuck is Shinra? What? I don't care. I didn't play it. I put it away. I think I was just like, I got to like the Scorpion boss. I died. I was like, don't like this game. <laughs> so I like put it away, and I don't know why I got it back out or whatever, but I did. Um, maybe a few months down the line or a wee bit down the line, yeah. and then for whatever reason, it just clicked from then. Yeah, and I was hooked on that game for years. Like um, I did the exact same thing recently with yeah. Dark Souls. Yeah. Like it, well, it, Dark Souls is one of those games where you need. It's almost like an acquired taste. Yeah, Dark Souls. But I, I, yeah. I mean, I think so. It's it's one of these things that like you know, quite often it can apply to films and books as well. Yeah. And like you know, here we're seeing it with video games. It's like there's there's so many different genres now and different different styles of games and and, mm-hmm. and ways to play them that you know it isn't just a catch all where oh we release a game and gamers will play it. It's, yeah. It's a, it, there's such a divergence in choice now. Yeah. Um, things about, like, for years, like, I'm still really into Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. It's one of my favourite games, and I replay it at least once a year, yeah. if not twice a year or more. It's, it's um, still held in critical yeah. acclaim. But when I was a kid, like, f- for the longest time, it was all I would talk about. It was all I would think about, and I hadn't even completed the game. Like, I didn't. It took me a few years to complete it, because... As a kid, I just didn't have the skills to get through a game. Like, it's not a kid's game. No. Um, there were certain bosses I remember being stuck on forever, and it would just mean that I couldn't progress. And I 
usually end up starting the game again so I could play it. Yeah. I'd get to that point again and then beat the boss. Right. And it would just repeat. I'd, I'd, then I'd, I'd play a bit further. Which is, again, that's, yeah. that's my approach to Dark Souls. Yeah. <laughs> that's, Dark Souls is based all upon that. It's like you hit a point and you just start you, you throwing to, you yourself to, at it yeah, until you yeah. get past it. And like, because the way I think is in death in games is usually something to be avoided. And when you die, it's like you have failed. Yeah. And so people see it as it's like it's game over. Yeah. Death and game over have always been synonymous and the same. And a lot of games, modern games at least, sugarcoat that. Yeah. So, you know, um, you, you die and it's, oh, okay, you can just respawn yeah. really close to where you were. Or... But dying is still seen as, that has, you're, that is finished. Yeah. You know, you'd go back and it would take you literally back to the point before that. As in the exact, it, a, a safe state where that state is restored. So you've got the same ammo that you had then and the same items and everything. Dark Souls, death isn't game over, ever. Yeah. Um, it's it's part of the yeah, story. It's, um, you you re you respawn almost with the state being the same. You're just taken back a bit. So the any items you've used, those items are gone. True. Uh, anything, um, and it's all about um, dying is the experience almost, and it's part of the game. And it's, that's what makes one of the things that makes Dark Souls so amazing. Um, but, speaking of death in video games, there is actually a podcast that uh, specifically deals with the themes of death in video games. Uh, I think it's over podcast. I'll, I'll I'll figure it out and I'll post it in the the show notes. But it is. I mean, if you're interested in uh, game design, certainly it's worth checking out. Um, and each each week they typically have a, a or each um, podcast. I mean, I don't know if it's still weekly, but they have a different uh, designer on talking about their game and yeah. what you know what death signifies to them and how it how it works into their game. I know so, that um, going back to seven a bit, um, Aerith Dying is obviously the critical part of that game and how the story progresses and how Aerith's like death and how death in general works in Final Fantasy Seven is like nobody well, you do die but like it's live stream represents death and rebirth and all that kind of thing is that kind of concept. Mm-hmm. Um but I think the reason that she is dead or dies in the game is because um the director whose name I forget um his mum mother died uh, during production of the game and he wanted to represent his coping of grief through the game. Mm-hmm. And it was originally actually meant to be um Tifa that died. Right. But they changed that late into the game late into the game's development. Okay. Um because when Aerith makes more sense because she's the last Cetra, the Cetra have an understanding of how the life stream works. Yeah. And her death ties into how the white material works and all that thing. So it's a more sensible It has a much more more of an impact on the story. Yeah, yeah it makes a lot more sense in terms of th- th- thematically it makes more sense. Cool. I'm, I'm just gonna correct myself, that podcast I mentioned is Play Dead. Play Dead. Mm. Um but also um so coming back to the PlayStation One as well. Oh, can I say something like one of the interesting things about Aerith dying as well was Do we have to put a spoiler label on this? No, no. it's like is this beyond statute of limitations. Uh, next year Final Fantasy Seven is twenty years old. Yes. Twenty years old. If you haven't played year. Final Fantasy Seven or somehow Heard that Eris dies, like, um, you've probably only got yourself to blame at this point. Like, that means a good friend of ours, his, his uh, partner did not know that Eris died. <laughs> and then so, some, and then it was spoiled ours, by another one. But yeah, so. one of the things that made that so impactful as well was because uh, it's one of the 
big examples I think like early examples maybe of um, it's shocking because she was a playable character yeah. in your team who dies and is gone yeah, yeah. and that's, that's not the norm but you, you can't even yeah. you can't even it's not it's tragic you know it's not you failed in a fight and lost and she's died and then you come back like that character yeah. is is dead yeah. removed from your team beyond your control and then there's things like finding stuff that you yeah. could use for her later on in the game yeah kind of stuff like that and, and you're just like oh shit she's and it is uh, in, in N7 it is represented as a failure of Cloud yeah. like because up until that well up until really when you get to the Northern Crater and the revelation about how, who well, who and who Cloud is not um, is like that he was unable to stop himself being controlled by Sephiroth and how that factored into him basically allowing Aerith to, Aerith, sorry, to die. So that's yeah. an interesting way of like saying it's like death itself when well when your party dies or gets killed, that's not so much of a failure, but like Aerith dying is like that is your failure and you have to deal with that. Yeah. And it was I think it was very well handled in the mm-hmm. story. It was it was really delicately um built into the, the mm-hmm. plot. Um so can I take us back to the, the PlayStation anniversary? Yes. So we're all in agreement. Final Fantasy VII is fantastic. Yes. Really great game. If you had to pick another game, though, oh, maybe, maybe something Evil Two, probably. It's a very or Crash choice. Bandicoot Three. There's some both I, both great games. The Crash Bandicoot games are amazing. They're all very good. Um, they they almost yeah. felt like they were they were trying to push the envelope of what you could do in a platform game. Yeah. Well. Uh, Spyro the Dragon. Yep. Was a big one for me mm-hmm. as a kid. Um, Dark Forces, which isn't, I don't think that's really a PlayStation game. It's not one, like if you were thinking Dark Forces, it's a PC game. Uh-huh. Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think PC game first, then a PlayStation game. Same with stuff that I played on the PlayStation, like Broken Sword. Yeah. That's a PC that's game a PC first. Game, but it, it yeah. came with, a, it was one of the charity packs, right? Yeah, it's called the Help Charity Compilation yeah. disc. I had, that's the discs, I had that pack. Right. With that. Um, came with Mist and Rogue Rash. Yes. So is. Mist was another one, which is a PC game. You'd think of it as a PC game first, but I played it on the PlayStation as a kid mm-hmm. and I thought that Mist was amazing. Yeah. And a lot of PC and PlayStation actually, like obviously Tomb Raider's a big one as well. Well, you get so. the PlayStation mouse. Oh, of course, yeah. Broken Sword and Mist yeah. were point and click games, so it was quite easy to have the same experience mm-hmm. on the um, PlayStation. Does yeah. anyone remember uh, Net Rosie? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Yerosi. Um, uh, those demo discs are quite strange. Um, fantastic! I had such a big collection of uh, demo discs by the by the time uh, like I was done with my PlayStation One, and I ended up selling it on maybe foolishly. But uh, I think I got rid of about thirty or forty demo discs. The, the Net Euros discs still go like they don't go for like crazy money on eBay, but you can you still they're still got, like a bit of an asking price, especially for like the more popular games like Terra Incognita, which and, is um, fantastic. Adventure Quest, not that kind of thing. Adventure Quest has a very strange sense of humour, but it was very obviously made by like maybe one British guy who had a lot of spare time and had a very incredibly sarcastic sense of humour. But Terra Incognito is really good, despite yeah. it being horribly translated. No, so, I mean that was really pushing envelope with what uh, indie devs could come up with mm-hmm. at the time. It's kind of an isometric um, platformer, Zelda type. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah, you had to fight slimes and pull blocks to. To move through the level and there's bombs right, yeah. as well, and then I think, yeah, but I, I think as well with the Net Eurosy games, after you played quite a few of them, you start to re uh, notice the 
the re- recycled assets and like yeah. audio files and stuff that were were used. But it was uh, a lot. A lot of the demos were like just hobbyist stuff. Yeah. Like it was like here's a clone of Pac Man or here's a block pushing game. It was like, but it was nice to see like they all had that kind of weird feel to them. Yeah. Like it was it was cool to play them because it's like you're playing somebody something that somebody like you has made. Something. They went and bought this black PlayStation and they were like, what can I do? Like, I'll put the disc in and we'll just see what we can make. It's um, like it's kind of lost now. I mean, I know mm. there's indie games, but they're not really... It's not the same, the same. thing anymore. Yeah, it's stuff that used to be... Um, obviously, it's, it's before us, but you'd get that on like the Spectrum and stuff like that. Yeah, like... There's yeah. like a big... Because you'll get like British hobbyist games... Like just, stuff on the BBC Micro and all that kind yeah. of thing as well, yeah. yeah. They're always really weird to look at, like... But coming from like, I obviously have no understanding of like what they were like at the time. Um, I think there's like stuff like demo scene stuff, so obviously comparable and all that kind of thing as well. That's the one. That's adventure quest. Oh, I'm holding up a uh, Terra Incognita on. Uh, oh yeah, Terra It's it's just an incredibly blocky. It's it's almost looks like a precursor to Minecraft. Yeah, in some in some aspects, yeah, it's like the the, the weird sort of very green stuff. It's called grass. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't get what I was going for. That. No, but like, they're, they're, it was a very vivid colours, which is comparable to Minecraft. So, oh. so what else? Do we have anything else you guys want to talk about this week? Or? Um, um, I've got one thing to talk about, which is related to PlayStation stuff. If that's okay, go for it, Dave. Um, so, like I was, I mentioned to Sprite and Liam earlier that I bought um, Galadians on PlayStation One, um, and I'm not going to speak specifically about Galadians, but it's something I've noticed. Um, on games that I've been buying recently, and that there was a um, there's a motorcycle race going outside, um, <laughs> but um, there was a there seemed to be like a an interesting trend of games for the PS One for a while, which is like um, third person adventure games with fixed cameras and CG cutscenes and weird monsters. Silent Hill, Silent Hill, Resident Evil, Galerians, Parasite Eve, Deep Delta. Fear, Cadelka. Um, so like it was all this, all these specific types of games, and they all controlled the same. They all kind of looked very similar. Like you had your pre-rendered backgrounds, your quite detailed polygonal character with lots of textures in them, and all that kind of thing. Usually real-time combat, with the exception of Cadelka, which was not real-time, but was in fact meant to be real-time. Um, see, highly detailed and quite expensive-looking CG cutscenes that look like complete shit now. Um, <laughs> Especially the ones in Galerians, they look really bad. It's um, the, the facial expressions in Galerians. Yeah, they look awful. <laughs> if you send me over a few videos, I can link them in the, yeah. the show notes as yeah, well. Yeah, I will do that. Um, but it's, like, it's interesting to see that, like, and with hindsight being 2020, like, these, these kind of trends in games, like, it's always, it's no like, cyclical is the wrong word, but it's always something that happens like when something comes out, and I think the two big um, benefactors for that were probably, not so much Resident Evil 1, but Resident Evil 2. And Final Fantasy VII, with CG cutscenes and all that kind of thing, they both came out around 1997, 98, and that's when all these games came out as well. So everybody was like, oh man, everybody loves CG cutscenes, and everybody loves like adventure games with really terrible controls and fixed cameras. Um, so we'll just everybody just kind of hopped, hopped in that bandwagon. But like, they all turned out actually like, quite good in some aspects. Cadelka, maybe, well, Cadelka is good in some aspects, but the combat's horrible. Cadelka's one where, like, um, you almost appreciate it for just how weird it is. It is. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of effort in it, but 
Do you know what Sound Oils? <laughs> I've never heard of it. It's a Japanese um, RPG type game. It's not really an RPG. Kind of, it is, but... It, it is, but also isn't. It's weird. It's like if um, you took Resident Evil and instead of it being a, a third-person shooter, um, it had uh, random battles where you had a turn-based RPG-style combat. Okay. Um, and it's... I can't even remember what it's about, but I know it's set in Wales. Um, is there maybe a certain attachment to Wales by the Japanese? You know, I know um, Maizaki is quite fond of Wales. I think it's based on Wales. Welsh literature or something yeah. like that. Um, to some degree. Um, it's very, very weird. Um, you only know it's in Wales because at the start of the game it's like, in this place in Wales. And then it cuts to it and it could be somewhere in like Eastern Europe, I guess. Yeah. But it's not Wales at all. It's like this huge um, old like monastery, castle, yeah. castle monastery type thing. And it looks nothing like anywhere in England at all. Huh. Or Wales for that matter. The um, monsters are really weird. The music's yeah. really weird. Like the music isn't... It's, the thing is, the guy, I think, what's the guy who made the game? Did he also compose the game? Yeah, he did. He, yeah. he made the game, composed for it, and I don't think it was received all that well. No. But the music is, it, um, it really brings in this weird atmosphere because mm-hmm. the music's slightly off. It, it's uneasy. It's, it's a very weird. But I don't even know if that's intentional or if he's just happened upon that because maybe he's not great at Composing. Fair enough. It's, it's maybe something you will never... That's just... If you're going to check out some weird game, I'd say check out... If you, if you want the absolute... Probably the pinnacle of uh, that kind of game, I would probably say it's either Parasite Eve 2 or Resident Evil 2. Yeah. Well, that's another, did, we, did, we, did you mention that when Parasite Eve is another one of those games? Yeah, Parasite Eve's a good one as well. Um, Squaresoft made that. Um I know that the original one, Parasite Eve 1, has a very sort of vagrant story-esque combat. Like, it has the, the attacks fear and... All that kind of thing, but like it's it does play a lot like Resident Evil, but it's still got that kind of like. It's not available here, either, is it? The original one, no. Um, I have a Japanese copy, um, so do as do you. Uh, Parasite Eve Two did launch here. That's an excellent game. God damn, that's a good game. Um, like it, like I was talking about, like the same kind of thing with Parasite Eve One. It's got like real time combat. You've got guns you can use and all that, but it's still got these wee aspects of RPG stuff in there that SquareSoft like to put in. That makes it a bit unique. So you've got like different levels of magic attacks, but it's all like pyrokinesis and telekinesis and all that kind of thing. And it all meshes really well. Um, it's got a really cool world. Aya Breeze, a really cool character. Um, God, it's just like if you have, if you've got one game to buy on the PlayStation 1 that you've maybe probably not played, but I don't think Parasite Eve's huge. No. Make it Parasite Eve 2. I think it's not like, it's not obscure. No, it's not obscure. I think people know of it. It's one of those games people know of. But it's haven't really owned it. or played. Yeah, that's really really good. Yeah, I love the whole. It's based on a book. Yeah, and there's a movie adaptation of the book as well. This is obviously I not at all like. Okay. Um, so yeah. I think we've got a couple more things we want to go over before we finish up. So yeah. I'll I'll go first and I'll let Dave uh, talk about his uh, his idea for a little running theme in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Another idea. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. I didn't mean to take credit away. No, it's, it's a good idea. It's a good idea. Um, so I just want to go over some events that are happening in October. Uh, today's mm-hmm. like the 2nd of October. So um, there are, as we mentioned in the past, uh, Scotland Loves Anime is running this month. Uh, tickets are still available for some of their screenings in Glasgow and Edinburgh. Uh, unfortunately, the Makoto Shinkai film, Your Name, Your Name has sold out entirely. Uh 
Although I think they're having second and third screenings in the film. Yeah, films. I think they are, yeah. Sure. Um, so you might still be able to get tickets if you check out the their website at lovesanimation.com. I've heard it's very good. But I, I'm I, not a big fan of Kota Shinkai stuff, but I mean, a lot of other people are. I've just got bad opinions and bad taste. Yeah. So I'm sure I've heard it's extremely good. I would have thought so. Garden of Rollins was your kind of thing. Well, I'm awkward, not a so. Awkward yeah. relationship between a student teacher. What are you trying to imply here, <laughs> I know you like your anime. Well, um, so uh, that's uh, Scotland Loves Anime is running on October the 14th in Glasgow and October the 17th in Edinburgh um, f- from those dates uh, as it's running for a week in each place. Yes. Um, so there's a few gaming events this month as well. Uh, tickets are available just now for Glass Games 10 uh, with their live panel quiz show. That's October 15th in the Truman Brewery, I think. Nope, not the Drygate Brewery. Truman Brewery is in London. Don't go there. Uh, there probably won't be a gaming event. They are using the WrestleMania 10 logo as the <laughs> Is that what it is? That is the WrestleMania 10 logo, but it says Glass Games on it. Uh, so that's October 15th. Um, what else? Games Are For Everyone is running in Edinburgh on October 20th. In the caves. In the caves. Uh, not not just any caves. Just like the, the caves in Edinburgh. The caves. Uh, which is supposed to be a really good event venue. Uh, I've known I've people to get married in there. I think I've been once. I think it was alright. I have yeah. not been yet, but I'm looking forward to, to it. I've got my tickets for, for the latest games are for everyone. Um, yeah, I think that's the, the, the major events anyway. Mm. My birthday. That doesn't count. That's not a major event. Is it not next year your big one? What's my big one? I don't know. What age are you going to be? 26. Yeah, it's not like you're 30th, right? Yeah. You, you, you're planning this whole big thing with no, cancelling London Expo. Yeah, nobody's allowed to do anything else. Okay, well, we've got four years. I mean, like, yeah. it might run itself into the ground by then. It's good. I hope so. Okay. Wait, no, sorry. I don't hope so. I'm sure it's a stand-up event. <laughs> I, don't, I really hope so. Okay. <laughs> we'll maybe do oh. something fun for your birthday, but closer to the time. Yeah. Uh, so, Dave, do you want to... To explain you and Liam's grand plan. So this is this is the gimmick, folks. This is this is a shoot, brother. Um, we're gonna do this on our. We're gonna we're gonna do this. Um, I think I don't think it. We're not gonna do it weekly. We're probably doing monthly. No, it's the I kind of thing that sounds more realistic. Yes. yes. So what it is is it's called the Steam Bargain Hunt. Um, so what we're gonna do is, um, as everybody knows, Steam will have occasional like week long like sales where they'll put a couple games down. Um, in price to like usually be like between a five and a ten. Um, I don't think it even should need to be in the sale. No, just anything under a five. Yeah. Um. So we're gonna do, we're gonna buy a game a month, for it has to be less than a five or, um, or equal to a five exactly. No, no more. Um, and we're gonna pick a particular genre of game. At first, it it may kind of narrow down a bit later. We might start doing just like. Topics that are involved in the game, but we'll start off with genre because that's probably easier, um, and I'll think make it like a little bit more so open to start with. Um, what we're going to do after that is we're going to play the game, which I think we should play it for at least a certain amount of time. Let's say three hours, for example, right? So we can get a grasp of the game. Um, so the play time needs to be a minimum three hours, and then on a show in that month or like let's say the week after we buy it, um, we're gonna on the next podcast we'll review it and we'll say this is what we thought of it this is um, what we didn't like what we did like how we'd rate it 
not necessarily out of ten, but what we'd say about it. Um, I think that um, we were going to have some kind of um, penalty system because we're going to like try and rate it. Um, we're going to try and have like a, a panel rating who had the who got the best value for money or who bought the best game, but that may not work considering there's only three of us. So the the, the votes might be a bit kind of skewed. Um, so what maybe what might be a good idea is um, putting the vote out to the listeners. Well, if we do it over the space of a month, we could always do uh, like play like maybe some live streaming or something. Or we're just we're feeling this out here. If you guys have got any ideas, then let us know. Yeah, yeah uh, but yeah, that's that's what we're going to do. It's going to be a a monthly thing. You're going to buy a game for less than a fiver uh, on Steam, and basically well, we're each going to buy a game for less than a fiver. Yes. We're not going to buy one game for less than a fiver. Yeah, we're all going to buy a game each for a fiver. Okay. Um, and then we'll decide who found the best. Who, who found, found the worst. best? We'll, we'll find. We'll devise a way that we're going to find out who bought the best or the worst. Um, whether that involves passing out between us or asking the listeners, we'll figure it out. But um, obviously, we're, we're going to try and not go out completely blind. We'll probably not start it next week, for example. We'll probably try and narrow things down a bit and then we'll start it at the end of the month, for example. So, does that sound good? Sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan. Um, I think, are we done for this week? Is that, is that us? Or do we have anything else? Or? Pretty much done. Pretty much done. Time to go to bed. Yes, absolutely. Right. Well, it's been a long day and uh, apologies again for missing last week, but we're here now. And hopefully we'll we'll be here again next week. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 Bye.